All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. If there was some high-tech company pulling the strings and manipulating people on Facebook and using quote-unquote dark posts and manipulating fake news, somehow that would explain why Donald Trump won and why we're at where we're at. We're weeks into the Trump presidency, and yet mystery still swirls around the methods that his campaign used. One intriguing story that's been making the rounds, a fancy data mining company figures out how to use Facebook to influence voters through their emotions, sways the U.S. presidential election, and annihilates the Democratic Party in the process. Is that what happened? What do you need to know about the future of politics and profiling and persuasion online? Today, an investigation and an answer into how issues get marketed to you. What the last election teaches us about the months to come in politics. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and the company we're talking about is Cambridge Analytica, an online marketing firm that says it can target every single one of us by playing on our personality and our emotions with ads that could change the way we think. Cambridge Analytica advised the Brexit campaign in the UK. One of President Trump's biggest donors has invested big league in the company, and its CEO is a Brit named Alexander Nix. We were able to form a model to predict the personality of every single adult in the United States of America. So how does this impact marketing and communications in elections? So this is Nix a few weeks before Election Day, giving a big talk at a conference for business and government leaders in New York. Most communication companies today still segment their audiences by demographics and geographics. But when you pause for just a moment, this is a really ridiculous idea. A better idea, according to Nix, is what Cambridge Analytica can do. Micro-target online messaging to voters based on each person's personality. Psychographics. That is an understanding of your personality, because it's personality that drives behavior, and behavior that obviously influences how you vote. So psychographics, this method that takes what you do and say on the Internet turns it into data, and then parses it to figure out who you are, how you think, and what message will appeal to you, just you, maybe without you even knowing it. More about how psychographics work later in the show. But the very idea of using them in politics sounded like brainwashing to a lot of critics of Trump and critics of invasive technology. I mean, and it definitely made us wonder, is this for real? And if so... 
isn't this really bad for our democracy? We weren't the only ones wondering. Earlier this month, this reporter was busy asking those questions, too. Nick Confessori, politics correspondent for The New York Times. Nick and his Times colleague, Danny Hakem, did an investigation into Cambridge Analytica's tactics to try and settle once and for all if they were or were not behind Trump's win. Both on the Cruz campaign and the Trump campaign, there were a lot of stories about Cambridge Analytica, which said it had developed basically a new approach to this targeting. So the conventional targeting is you take voting histories, which are available from each state, and consumer data, which you can buy. It's expensive, but you can buy it off the shelf. Thousands of data points on every person in the country based on their credit histories and their credit card purchases. And in politics, there is actually a bit of an art to using some of that information to decide what issues you care about and how likely you are to vote for a certain candidate. So if you drive a certain truck or live in a certain demographic area or are a certain race, you're more likely to vote this way or that way. And over the years, they've gotten better and better at essentially making predictions. So they can look at a group of voters on a list that the campaign wants to target and basically say, this tranche of voters is very likely to vote for Donald Trump. Let's forget about them for now. This tranche of voters is on the fence. Let's figure out a way to appeal to them. What Cambridge said was, well, instead of just using the consumer data and the voter data, we had developed a technique to come up with personality profiles of each voter mm. to guess their personality. Are they uh, worried a lot? Are they anxious? Are they outgoing? Are they confident? Are they conscientious? And using those profiles to develop and target advertising that would sort of go right into your brainstem, that would really appeal to you on a gut level, not just on an issue level or ideological level. In your understanding of this, is that very different than what previous candidates, including Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, had done to target voters? Is that claim very different? In theory, it's very different. What you're saying is that you have a level of insight into the, the mental posture of each voter that you otherwise wouldn't have. So you might have two voters who are women who have household incomes of $100,000, who both live in second-ring suburbs in Midwestern cities, who both are conservative. But one of them has a lot of anxiety or is a very anxious voter, and the other is like a, you know, a confident and optimistic voter. So why would you target the two of them with the same advertisement? So what Cambridge's claim was that they could detect a difference between those two people and develop specific ads that would appeal to those two different personality types, even if those other characteristics were the same. And that was supposed to be new. And Cambridge Analytica uses Ted Cruz as a success story. Did it work for him? Is Cambridge Analytica the reason why he made it so far along in the campaign? There's not really any evidence of that. It's certainly the pitch they made. And in fact, the president of Cambridge was at a conference last fall where he basically took credit for making Ted Cruz somebody who everyone hated to somebody who almost won the nomination. <laughs> After Cruz flamed out, the company pitched the Trump campaign and came on board. And over the months they worked for Trump, they would sort of talk about their role in the campaign and suggest that they were providing all the data and that this psychometric approach that they had, as they call it, or psychographic approach 
was being applied in the campaign. And what our story shows is that it turns out, and I should say, as it turns out and as the company admits now, they never actually used those techniques on the campaign. The idea that they were the nerve center uh, of the Trump upset, that they somehow figured out a way to hack the election and deliver the election to this guy who was otherwise unpopular is a myth. It's not true. And why do you think people were so sort of obsessed with this idea of targeting people via their personalities? Were people trying to understand how Donald Trump won over the electorate? Was this guy, the CEO of Cambridge Analytica, Alexander Nix, is he just a great salesperson? Why are we we talking about this even if it didn't work? Uh, Well, it's a great question. I think the prime audience for this myth-making is, in fact, people on the left who hate Donald Trump. I think that people were so shocked that he won which is understandable because the polls showed that he would lose, and that after he won, there was a real casting about of explanations that didn't involve Donald Trump being kind of a great candidate for this time. Mm. People loved the idea, I think, deep down, that there was some dark art or a special sauce that enabled this guy who they didn't respect or like or think was any good to somehow beat the candidate Hillary Clinton, who they thought was fantastic and qualified and ready for the presidency. So I think... This myth has been appealing because somehow it excuses the defeat of their own candidate, that if there was some high-tech company pulling the strings and manipulating people on Facebook and using, quote-unquote, dark posts and manipulating fake news, that somehow that would explain why Donald Trump won and why we're at where we're at. I think the real answer is Donald Trump was a good candidate for this election. He was perfectly targeted at a small number of voters who happen to be the deciding voters in three or four states in the country, and that's why he's president. So Donald Trump is the reason why Donald Trump won. But what about Cambridge Analytica? Do they still stand by their statement that they have a personality profile on almost every one of us? And what did they actually do for the Trump campaign? So we locked out an agreement with the Trump campaign in late May, and I was deployed to San Antonio, Texas in early June. It was me and two other data scientists to start. I got Matt Eskowski on the phone. He's head of product at Cambridge Analytica. Matt pretty much confirmed what Nick Confessori had reported. Cambridge Analytica was not the deep, dark, data-driven reason Donald Trump won the election. Donald Trump won because good candidates with good messages win elections. Matt says they did help the Trump campaign, but they only used some of the tools in Cambridge Analytica's arsenal. When we started, our role was first and foremost to be the data science firm of record for the campaign. And the real reason we were hired was to quantify the Trump effect. And that is to understand how Donald Trump is different from a generic Republican. He's different than any candidate that we've seen in the past. So understanding his base of support, who will donate to him, who we have to persuade, and that was the first problem to solve. But over time, our role grew from not just data science and data operations. We also did a significant amount, probably most of the polling for the campaign, polling and research. And we also did a lot of the digital media buying for the campaign. The CEO, Alexander Nix, has mentioned also the use of psychometrics for both the Cruz and the Trump campaigns. Yeah. Did you use Um, those? 
we really didn't get into psychographics that much with Trump. The problem coming into a, a presidential campaign, you know, operationally four or five months out from Election Day is that you have to really start from scratch. I mean, the Trump campaign had no base of operation. It was kind of a goat rodeo we walked in. There was no centralized database, disparate data sources on CSV files, on hard drives, no data science or modeling program at all. We had to do a lot of the core building before we could ever move to using psychographics. And we frankly just ran out of time. So how is what you did for him different than what traditional campaign strategy groups might do? Anything? So the devil's in the details here. I would say that what we did is probably similar to the standard playbook of what people would run on campaigns. The difference is just in the scale and the volume we did. But psychometrics was not part of that program, correct? Not at a deep level, no. So psychometrics might not have swung this past presidential election, but could it sway future elections? The answer is most definitely yes. The implications of this technology for future elections and some research into how personality profiling works, done by you, dear Note to Self listeners, after the break. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. We've been talking about the potential for micro-targeting with super-specific ads online to influence our behavior, maybe even the way we vote. But so far, the power of psychometrics to affect big social change has not been proven. But that doesn't mean consultants and businesses aren't testing it out. And so we here at Note to Self decided to test out a psychometrics tool, too. This was part of our interactive project with listeners, maybe you, a few weeks back. It was called The Privacy Paradox. We ask you to try out an online tool called Apply Magic Sauce. We've got a link on our website at notetoselfradio.org if you're curious. This tool takes a scrap of what you've written in an email or on Facebook and then profiles your demographics, your personality, your emotional needs and wants. It tells you whether you're generally calm or neurotic. Thousands of you gave it a go and reported back on its accuracy with very mixed results. I did the Comply Magic Sauce on the way to work today after listening to the podcast. Yikes. Nailed me exactly. It says that my personality type is not drawn to the caring professions. I'm a nurse and I teach nursing. What? Immediately guessed the correct age. It um, knew my religion, my political affiliation. It said I am a married gay man with leadership potential. Um, I am a divorced woman, heterosexual, kind of on the introvert side. Fascinating, right? Yeah, some of you thought this kind of digital personality profiling was either totally right or complete and utter nonsense, or you thought it was kind of like a horoscope. You know, the profile could always kind of be right. Yeah, I really am a person who sometimes feels sad and happy at the same time. I mean, isn't that kind of all of us? 
So apply magic sauce was a fun little exercise. But actually, it was more than that we learned. Our experiments with the tool relate directly back to this marketing firm, Cambridge Analytica. And the story behind the technology's development clearly shows the pros and cons of Psychometrics's power. Both Cambridge Analytica and Apply Magic Sauce have their roots in a lab at Cambridge University. I'm an assistant professor of organizational behavior at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford University. Dr. Michal Kaczynski worked in that lab, but he decided not to join his colleagues when they left academics and went to found Cambridge Analytica. Michal grew up in Warsaw. Before Stanford, he studied psychology at Cambridge. But he also loved math, so he thought psychometrics was the perfect field for him to combine his two loves, understanding people and understanding numbers. My main motivation was actually related to making the world more of a fair place, right? People come from different paths of life. Some are lucky to be born in families that provide them with excellent education, and some other people are not lucky enough. Now, when you use psychometric tests, we can detect that they have great potential and offer them access to excellent education. Yeah, like what if... Across the entire country, you could pinpoint the kids who have the aptitude and the temperament to be amazing coders, and you made sure that they got the education to go on and get great jobs. That'd be good for them and the economy. Finding groups of people through their digital behavior, this is what Michal decided to base his experiments on in that lab at Cambridge a few years ago. We basically have shown that it is possible to turn those digital footprints into detailed psychological profile, including traits such as personality, intelligence, your job preferences, career preferences, but also intimate traits such as political views, sexual orientation, uh, religiosity, and so on. Yeah, I read, is this true that something like the motion sensor on our phone can, which can reveal with metadata how fast we went, how far we walked that day, that that also can correlate to a certain type of personality? That's uh, true. In fact, the motion sensor in your phone can detect your heartbeat, both when you're wearing it in your pocket, but also when you put it on your mattress when you're sleeping. So those sensors are very accurate, and now they can collect data across very long time spans, and computer models can be used to turn those digital footprints into very accurate psychological, psychometric profiles. And what about Facebook? Because I understand that you made one of the first or one of the biggest sort of psychometric databases by using what information you could get from Facebook. We had over 6 million people who ended up taking personality and other questionnaires that we offered. And a great fraction of our participants were generous enough to give us access to their Facebook data, which produced the largest ever database combining psychometric profiles and also digital footprints of a huge number of people. All this donated Facebook data helped Michal and his colleagues eventually create that digital tool that so many of you tested out, Apply Magic Sauce. And Michal and his colleagues used their digital tools to study things like people's taste in music and film, understanding the onset of mental illness like depression, to answer all kinds of psychological questions. But Michal also knew that other people would want to use these tools and tools like this in other ways. 
Let me give you an example of an insurance. Now, if you have a um, stressed, neurotic person, you do not want to scare them too much because then their cognition shuts down. They're basically too freaked out to even, you know, think uh, properly about your offering. You want to calm them down. So you say, hey, buy my insurance. Everything will be great. Everything will be fine. I will show you this picture of a beautiful house and happy family. And I'll try to encourage you to consider insurance in this way. If you have an emotionally stable person, a message of this kind you know, is well below their emotional threshold to pay attention. You need to shake them a bit, right? So, hey, warn them. Hey, if you don't buy our insurance and your house burns down, then you'll be like out there, you know, without money and whatnot. Show them maybe a picture that shows risks, you know, a fire car driving somewhere to put out the fire and so on. Ah, this example is freaking me out. I mean, I have to say, like, what is the difference between emotionally targeting someone and emotionally manipulating them? You're very easily freaked out, you know? (laughs) But I yet apply magic sauce put me low on the neuroticism scale. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, that's a very interesting question because... The difference between manipulation and positive influence, it's just a blurry one. Look, if I told you, hey, let's use some of the psychological targeting to help people quit smoking and have a healthier diet, everyone would agree, oh yeah, let's do some of it. This is a great idea and we totally fully support it. And now I'll tell you, hey, let's discourage people from voting. Everyone would agree, hey, this is just a stupid, awful idea that is just completely non-democratic, right? But between those two extreme examples, there's a whole spectrum of ways in which you can try to influence people. And now, which one of them is all right? It's a very difficult question. It's a very blurry border. And also, it might differ between people. But choice is what you're saying is the key, that that person would say, this is, I'm okay with this, I know it's happening, and I want it to happen. That's the difference. And look, we have a choice. If you believe that there is an environment in which you are being manipulated, or if you believe that there is a politician that is manipulating you, or a company that is manipulating you, just don't vote for them. Don't buy their products. Stop using a given platform. You do have a choice. But what if I don't realize that that's what they're doing to me? Well, that's a very interesting question. Michal left Cambridge in 2014 to go to Stanford, and some of his colleagues took their technical know-how to a private intelligence firm called SCL, where they spun off another company, Cambridge Analytica. They asked Michal to join them, but he declined. Well, frankly, when I was invited to work on this project, I didn't know yet exactly what it is going to be used for. And I also didn't know that it will be used in politics. So, uh, well, I would hope, um, um, I would wish I had, you know, an ability to see the future, but I certainly didn't at that stage. What put me off were were, were, were details, really. I, um, I was not sure about how ethical was the way in which they wanted to collect the data. It's not that Michal opposes politicians using psychometrics. He actually thinks a lot of good can come from it. In the past, you needed a huge party and a huge industry funding your efforts to basically be able to broadcast your message to communicate with the voters. Now, digital platforms, together with targeted digital marketing, allow you to reach voters and have a dialogue with the voters 
at the much lower cost. Bernie Sanders, for instance, reached out to people who were before completely ignored by the political establishment. Basically, you have the outsiders that can now enter the political process and talk with voters directly. And I think this is great. Obviously, there will be evil people out there trying to play on people's fears. But I believe, I believe in humanity. It's basically bringing more relevant messages to people and making them more interested in politics and more engaged in politics. And I believe that engaged voters and interested voters are basically good news to democracy. But I also hope that voters going forward will realize that sometimes politicians will take advantage of them. Okay, one conspiracy theory handled. No, Psychometrics did not elect President Trump. And no, there was no secret sauce. But psychological profiling online is real. And it's coming to a campaign near you. Matt Udzkowski of Cambridge Analytica says that his company has several clients lined up for the 2018 races. And he says they also have lots of projects in the commercial space. So keep an eye out for online ads for insurance or pharmaceuticals or other stuff that really tug at your particular heartstrings or play to your analytical side or just seem to know you a little bit too well. And maybe be extra vigilant as the midterm campaigns heat up. It never ends, guys. It really never ends. Before we go, I've actually got a very important question for you. We've gotten lots of requests from teachers recently for transcripts of our episodes to use in their classrooms. And the team and I are trying to figure out the best way to serve you, you wonderful people doing the most important work in the world. So if you've got ideas or you've been using Note to Self to help you teach, please send us an email with your thoughts and any use case examples. Our email address is easy. It's note to self at WNYC.org. I can't wait to read them. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plourd. And many thanks to you listeners for your voice memos, as always. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening. 